today on 2C Vans. Yeah, as you probably know, we just opened a new uh, research facility down there, and it uh, it was supposed to be rated Cat 5, and it did quite well. Yes, and they were right near the center of the storm, so it's that, that it was facility. was another trial mm -hmm. by fire right there. That's right, and yeah. I've heard some pretty hair-raising stories of the team that stayed in place and helped try to maintain the corals during that storm. It's, it's quite incredible. Yeah. Hello and welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory, your podcast for marine science and education here at Moat. I'm Haley Rutger. And I am, I think I am, Joe Nicholson. You are correct. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Hales. So uh, we have a very special guest this week. We're really excited. Um, can you please tell us your name and title? My name is Sarah Fangman and I am the superintendent of the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, we Mo works a lot with the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary because we have a campus down in the Florida Keys. Um, so how did you get to this role? What were you doing before and how did you arrive here? I was the superintendent of Gray's Reef National Marine Sanctuary prior to becoming the Florida Keys superintendent. That's in Savannah, Georgia, for listeners who might not be familiar with Love where that Savannah. is. It's yeah. a beautiful city. Beautiful city. Gray's Reef Sanctuary is off the coast of Georgia, also an amazingly beautiful place. And uh, when the opportunity came about that uh, I could join the Florida Keys, I was very eager to do so. So you moved from Savannah to where? Key West? I live in Key West. Wow, that's a bit of a change in it scenery. was it was but i am absolutely loving it i ride my bike to work i listen to the chickens and uh -huh, yeah and the roosters crowing yes, in the morning yep. yes it is the roosters isn't it yeah. not the chickens well there's chickens too <laughs> but the, the the roosters are crowing in the morning that's right well that's awesome um so we uh i know you got to the role was it in july that i saw the announcement in 2017 that you were announced as that role that was right before um, a big, big thing happened. Uh, Ooh, yes. Can, can anyone guess what that was? Oh, oh, oh <laughs> let me, let me. Er, 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 Ernie, Irma. Oh, please. you can do it. You did Irma. it. Irma. Yes, I actually moved to Key West, so the announcement was made in late July, but thankfully they gave me a little bit of time to pack up and sell my house and move to Key West, and I arrived in Key West on September 2nd. Oh, uh, nice. My first day in the office was oh. uh, to oversee the evacuation of our two offices, one in Key West, one in Key Largo, our visitor center, secure our boats and our vehicles, and get everybody out. That was my first <laughs> oh day in the office. God. Talk about thrown into the fire. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thrown into the hurricane. So uh, did you have anything like that occur when you were with Grace Reef, or is that a new thing for you? Hurricane Matthew the year before. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Yep, well, I had a little practice. Savannah gets, yeah, they get some hurricanes going up through there. They do, and Irma actually caused a great deal of flooding in, in Savannah as Savannah, well. So, yeah. yes, I have not been bored since starting my job in Key West. Absolutely. It sounds like it. I, I you know, I spoke with a uh, communications colleague for the sanctuary months ago, and she said that so much of what they've been talking about has been Irma, Irma, Irma since, since it hit, because there's a lot of follow-up, right? Oh, yes. The, it has been a huge impact to the community on land and of course underwater in the sanctuary and so uh, we have been, got right back to work as soon as we could get back uh, and did assessments and we have a buoy system for uh, mariners who want to go out and dive or snorkel or fish on the reef and want to do that without dropping an anchor on the sensitive habitats yes and we lost of our about 800 buoys we lost about a hundred yeah. in the storm and so we've been busy putting those back out so it's been it's been quite busy ever since 
I can assume it's been extremely busy. We, yeah, as you probably know, we just opened a new uh, research facility down there, and it uh, it was supposed to be rated Cat Five, and it did quite well. Yes, and they were right near the center of the storm, so it's yes. that that it was facility. Trial, another trial mm-hmm. by fire right there. That's right, and yeah. I've heard some pretty hair-raising stories of the team that stayed in place and helped try to maintain the corals during that storm. It's it's quite incredible. Yeah, yes. our own intrepid Dr. Dave Vaughn and his colleagues. Yeah, and I guess we've we've learned some lessons from um, Hurricane Irma. Is there anything you know you guys have? found that, you know, oh, maybe we could have done this or we could have done that? Well, um, you always learn something, but the good news is, you know, I mentioned that my first day in the office was to oversee the evacuation. I hardly knew where the printer was. Yeah. (laughs) But fortunately for me, the team in the sanctuary has done this before. It wasn't wasn't their their first first rodeo. rodeo. Nope. (laughs) So so we were pretty well prepared, I would say. Um, We were fortunate that our facilities uh, didn't sustain worse damage Mm -hmm. than we did. We had some damage, but it wasn't catastrophic. Um, We, too, have a facility that was built with hurricanes in mind in Key West, and so that building stood up quite well. Um, I would say one thing that I'm concerned about moving forward is that we conduct monitoring to look at, we did some restoration post-storm, so we went out and did some coral recovery, turning over corals, et cetera, and what's going to be really important is to monitor those long-term, and sometimes it's hard to get people interested in long-term monitoring. So, you know, immediate response that people want to be a part of, but tracking fate of did this help and did these corals actually survive when we turned them over and glued them back? Yeah. That's a question we need to know the answer to so that the next time this happens, because it will happen again, it will will happen again. When it happens again, is that the right strategy? Yeah. That's that's a very good point. Very important. Yeah. We might wholeheartedly agree with that. We are very much into monitoring the reefs, as you know. Yep. I wanted to back up and ask you about the sanctuary's role overall in the Keys for somebody who doesn't live in the Keys and um, may not have had much experience with sanctuaries. What is the job of this sanctuary in a nutshell? That's a great question. And coming from a very small remote sanctuary in Georgia, I was used to people not knowing Mm. what Gray's Reef National Marine Sanctuary is. However, when I moved to the Keys, I was very surprised that despite the fact that the sanctuary has been in place for many, many years and encompasses the entire Florida Keys, there are a lot of people that don't know that there is... no clue. That's right, that there is this national treasure in our in our waters around the Keys. And yep. so our job is to manage the sanctuary, make sure that it remains healthy, but also support uh, use that is compatible with protection. And that can be very, very challenging in a place like the Florida Keys where there is so many different types of activities, so many uses. So our, our job is to make sure people can enjoy it, but enjoy it in a way that it will be there for the long term, for the future, so that people can continue to enjoy it year after year. What do you think people most are keen to enjoy when they, they visit the sanctuary? Um, what are they looking for? What are those treasures? Well, I think as soon as you get into the Keys, you see the beautiful turquoise water which surrounds you, and I think that draws everybody. But those that go out on the water, 
I think a lot of people are drawn to our iconic reefs. Most um, definitely. Yes, yeah. and it, it, it's, it does not disappoint. They are, um, as you have heard said, the, the rainforest of the, of the yep, seas. seas. Yes. Yeah. So um, there's just beautiful corals and sea fans and soft corals and fish swimming all over. So it's and some of the most spectacular anywhere. Truly beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And uh, to to note about Irma, I know the impacts were probably variable on those those reefs depending on where you were. Well, we, yeah, I heard Lou got hit pretty hard. It was quite interesting. So immediately after the storm, um, we gathered together with a lot of different institutions, state, federal, nonprofits, universities, to conduct a reef-wide assessment. Mm -hmm. And so a team was pulled together, and they conducted surveys using. Uh, the same techniques, location after location after location, all the way through the reef track, mm -hmm. so that they could get a snapshot of the impacts. And you are correct that the impacts were variable. Mm -hmm. Not surprisingly, most intense where the center of the storm went over the over the reef. Mm -hmm. But there were also areas that the divers would get in the water and one team might dive to the right and the other team would dive to the left and they would come up to the surface, compare notes, and they would have a completely different impression. Wow. Yes, it was very surprising how localized even within a single dive site, they could have observed really different Results, conditions. Yeah. 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 So what makes that so is a fascinating question. What was it about, you know, the reef structure, the offshore water, the waves, the winds, who knows what yeah. it was, but it could be quite variable. It was not predictable. Huh. Yeah. That's an interesting, wow. Um, yeah. There's a new study right there. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, I want to say that the... Um, People, when you listen to the marine forecast yeah. and you hear them say, inside the reef, it'll be two to three feet. And outside the reef, it'll be four to six, six feet. feet yeah. What does that tell you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Natural shield there. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. And so, you know, the other thing is mangroves as well. You know, mm -hmm. marinas that have mangroves surrounding them did, fared much better. The vessels within them were much better off because those mangroves, like the corals, are providing a dampening effect, yes. a protective effect. And so it's really important that we continue to protect those habitats if you care about making sure that your boats and your your property on land is is protected too well that's an interesting thought that just popped or i had an interesting thought pop into my head Did i should you? say yes <laughs> I, I, pop um speaking of mangroves are the mangroves because they are technically in the water but they are also on the land are they part of the sanctuary mm -hmm. yes okay. yeah so how far on land does the sanctuary Mean high water, mean and we go water. out to a depth of 300 feet. Wow! Okay. The sanctuary is 2,900 square miles, so it's really a big, big area. So anytime your listeners go to the Florida Keys and put their foot in the water, they're in the sanctuary. Be careful, you are sanctuaried. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to know. Yeah, the the size of the sanctuary is incredible. I'm. Is it one of the bigger sanctuaries in the U.S. or are they are most of them huge? I no, actually, it is one of the larger ones, and you know, within the sanctuaries, the superintendents joke about which who has the biggest sanctuary. But uh, <laughs> I think we have the best. The best, yes. <laughs> well, well what is it? Hawaii is the biggest now? or Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument. Yes. Wow, okay. I'm not even going to try and say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've had practice. Okay. Expert pronunciation. So uh, we were really interested in the role of science in a sanctuary. You talked about one great um, option for science is long-term monitoring of whether a restoration technique worked. Um, well, how else do you see science in a marine sanctuary, especially here in the, the Florida Keys? It's critical. Yeah. That's all I can say. It is critical because for us to manage and protect 
all of these different habitats, these different species. We need to understand their health. We need to understand the threats to their health. We need to understand what's causing any problems that might be observed. And we have to have science to do that. And unfortunately, our team is only 30 people. Mm. And that's people that are doing mooring buoy maintenance, education, media, uh, enforcement, and science, which means of 30, we only have a handful, which means we can't do it all. And so partnerships with organizations like Moat is critical for us to help get that information that we need to make sure we manage the place and keep it healthy for the future. And Moat, historically, we've been down there, wow, since as long as I can remember. And uh, you know, I started back in 92, yeah. and I don't know if we, I, I'm pretty sure we were doing stuff before that, but we were on Pigeon Key mm-hmm. with a small little uh, research lab there. Mm-hmm. And then we finally were able to move to Summerlin, but we've been doing coral research down yep. there for quite some time. Moat has been a part of the research community in the Keys for as long as I can remember, which and is about as long as you. Yeah, yeah. And, our, and our own president, you know, was, uh, what was he? He was a uh, chief scientist for... For the sanctuaries, sanctuaries and in reserves the, yeah, in the in early nineties, early nineties we had down, yeah, yeah Dr. Crosby and yeah. uh, and Dr. Vaughn, who is our executive director down there, he noted to me that some of our early coral um, growing in a nursery was due to. Um, a seawall project where corals were being rescued, I yeah. believe, and they were brought to us to try With to see how we. Dr. Could. Eric Muller. Eric, Eric Bartels, you're mixing up scientists. No, uh, it was before oh. it, before all those guys. We had a, another guy. Uh, he was in yep, charge down there, him. and his name was Dr. Eric Muller. That's so strange. And he, and he was the one that was doing that study. Okay, because I, I got to laugh. We have an Eric Bartels and an Aaron Muller now, both involved with corals. And I thought so Joe was... So if we was combine them into an <laughs> Eric Muller. Yes. <laughs> Little did you know there actually was a person who there combined were, those two there, names. There really was, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the history lesson. Yes. So, so long term, uh, so, and we also, um, Moat uh, is closely in contact with the Sanctuary for two monitoring programs. We have a Bleach Watch program and a program called Sea Ocean where volunteers can look for um, environmental changes and with Bleach Watch is a focus on coral bleaching and paling. Um, for sort of an early, early warning, I guess, an early, um, early notification of something going on. And I know there's also systematic surveys. There's, I think, the Florida Reef Resilience Program. Yeah. Yep. And all of that is critical for us and, you know, engaging citizen scientists uh, in being eyes and ears out on the water is exceptionally helpful to us. Um, Again, we can't be everywhere. And so having people out on the, and, you know, there are citizens who have been diving in the Keys for longer than some of our staff. Yeah. So they know a lot. And they see the changes over the years. And they care a lot. Yes. And so by Moat having these programs, which allows them to be a part of monitoring and engaging with the community, they go out, they do this work, and guess what? They tell their neighbors, and they tell their friends, and they speak the the importance of this place. So they are magnifiers, in my view, in terms of, of I th- I informing I think they like people. to call that the coconut telegraph. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I like that. Um, so we, we've been trying to follow news on one of the things that is, is a little tricky to document, but a, a little bit scary for us is some uh, coral disease reports that we've been hearing, um, especially from the northern parts Ooh, yeah. of the Florida Reef Tract. So we, we know some of our scientists at Moat are really focused on coral disease, and they, they want to help understand what's going on in those areas and whether we will see it grow. Um, 
from your perspective at the sanctuary, what have you heard about that and um, what's being done to look at it? So you're referring to a coral disease outbreak that started in 2014 and that I am told is truly unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And that's not a word I throw around lightly. Mm -hmm. It is unprecedented in terms of its scale. Yes. In terms of its duration. And its devastation. And its devastation as well as the number of species that it is affecting. So it is very worrisome. Mm -hmm. And I will say that there is a a very large team of professionals that are working together to try to understand this event, try to understand its cause, try to examine are there ways that we can respond and and react and treat these affected corals. Um, So there's a a tremendous amount of work being done. The state of Florida Department of Environmental Protection is the lead on that, and uh, they've been doing a tremendous job. The, the governor and the legislature provided some funding, a million dollars last year, to help support this work. So, wow, okay. um, I know scientists, go. that's right, scientists at Moat are a part of that, you know, search and solution finding. And so, um, you know, but it is still of great concern to all of us. Yeah. I've heard from some, oh, yeah, one sec. I heard from um, one of our scientists that I, we may not even know. The pathogen or pathogens, it may be a matter of finding out, and there may be more than one in coral diseases, so it's it's very mysterious. It is, and yeah. coral diseases are not unusual. Mm-hmm. Their coral disease, like human disease, is typical, mm-hmm. but they typically affect 2 to 3% of the corals on the reef. Okay. This is affecting... 50% right. or as high as. And so that's at like in humans, there are 9% of humans have diabetes. Uh-huh. What if all of a sudden 50% of percent of humans, yeah. we'd be concerned. Oh yes. my goodness. Yeah. We'd be very concerned. We would be funding a lot of research. That's yeah. correct. Well, and I understand it's spreading farther south and keeps migrating or, or pushing farther and farther south. Has it passed that natural type of barrier of the Seven Mile Bridge area, like that gap? Yes, so there is a large gap that that has been in the past in some circumstances kind of an ecological barrier, if you will, for Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. And this event started up near Miami, Mm -hmm. up in Biscayne Bay, and moved north very quickly and has gone all the way up the the Florida Reef Tract, as far north as we have corals, and it is marching south. But it has not crossed that gap to which you refer. So, yes. Seven-mile bridge? Yes. Yes. So we have been doing monitoring on, you know, at the what we call the, the... the disease edge, the margin of the disease, and, you know, looking where things still remain healthy, we will continue to do a lot of monitoring there to look for any early signs that the the disease is progressing past that natural barrier. Well, that's some good news then. So far. far. It hasn't hasn't gone any farther south. We hope that this, like we call sort of a fire break, that it continues to help. That's right. Yeah. So, um, well, it's good to know that people are on it. I think if anyone out there is, you know, wants to support science, this is one place where you can really direct your attention. It's, it's very important. That's right. And if I can just add, we are working to develop some steps that citizen science can, can help us with in this event. You know, right now you mentioned the Bleach Watch program. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to train folks in terms of what they can do to help keep an eye out for this. Um, it is very difficult to identify and to properly diagnose, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be easily confused with bleaching. So um, we are also trying to figure out how can we engage the public in helping us to keep an eye out for this. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for more on that. Well, those public-private partnerships are very important for any any program, any associate, even moat. 
yeah, we couldn't do it, you know, without. And you know, we'll we'll look for word on that um, opportunity. We will wh whatever we hear, we will be glad to blast out and help more people become aware of that. That's great. I yep. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so and uh, yeah, we you said importance of public private. I think that's sort of the theme of this conversation. Is you know here we are with those roles, um, trying to make a difference together. Um, I wanted to to highlight. I had written down one of the the cool things that had happened in the past two years. Um, Ooh, we like cool things. We like cool things, so we, we need some good news too. Yeah. Um, and we had planted about twelve thousand coral fragments along Fort Zachary Taylor Historic State Park, and Moat worked with NOAA and I believe DEP and the Florida Park Service and uh, the Tourist Development Council supported it. So now those fragments are near the park in what they kind of call a snorkel trail, so that you could see the area um so that was a really neat uh thing where it really worked out well i think it's a fantastic effort and you know that is a very very popular state park our office is right near the entrance and i watch people parade into that park all day long yep. okay. and uh many of them have their towels and their bathing suits so they're getting in the water <laughs> and they are checking this out and they're learning something about coral restoration so we really really appreciate that effort yeah we learned a lot in developing a little sign to put up there to educate people about the project we worked with people from from all these different agencies and we learned a lot in the process yes that's yeah. fantastic and noah is a great partner with um one of our uh coral reef plate um mm -hmm. festivals we have which is in april yeah uh, we call ocean fest and we have it right in your parking lot i know you do <laughs> and the good news is this year the city has really done a lot of work in our area and we've got a new park right next to our parking lot a new amphitheater on the other side of our building so uh for those who haven't been down to the waterfront um in key west in a while and they will go. have some some nice surprises yeah. go it looks lovely yes so, so what what, yeah. what would you say is one of the biggest you know challenges going forward Wow. Um, probably just one? <laughs> yeah, just one. Um, probably the basic premise of what we do is our biggest challenge, which is to allow use, but make sure that it is done in a way that is compatible with resource protection. That sounds really simple, it but does. it's really hard yeah. to allow. We have about 21,000 people visiting the sanctuary every day wow. and making sure that they know what they need to know to use it responsibly. I personally believe that most people want to do the right thing, but sometimes they don't know. They don't know that corals are animals so that if they stand on them, they can hurt them. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that people can use and enjoy and appreciate the sanctuary, but yet do so in a way that is not destructive, mm -hmm. that's a big challenge. I, uh, I, challenge yeah. I was impressed by the idea of the Blue Star Charter Program that's down there. I, right. I talked to someone involved with that, charters that educate people about Reef friendly behavior, I guess. That's very you, cool. Yes, you're referring to our Blue Star Dive Operator Program. Mm -hmm. This is a program that is a recognition of operators who agree to a, a higher set of standards in terms of making sure that their customers are aware and that they themselves are operating their businesses in the best possible way to help the corals. We're actually also kicking off a Blue Star uh guide program so the fishermen will also have a similar program so that fishing guides can be certified or or recognized for their extra efforts as well yeah that's important and i think we're, we're almost out of time so um the, i guess the last question is just going forward um 
I had heard that, you know, there's still work to update the management plan. That's an ongoing process. Is there anything that you want the public to understand about that process? I Thank yeah, because I, I usually say to the, the guest is, you know, if there was one thing you could say to one somebody. Thing, yeah. Thank you for asking because we do, we are re-examining and have been for several years working with the public and the community to examine our management practices. And long story short, we're getting ready to put that out on the street. And what that will be is a series of alternatives, alternatives that reflect different different levels of protection, different changes potentially in regulations, and even possibly changes in our boundary. Wow. We will need input from everyone who cares about the Florida Keys. Please, please, and I will ask you guys to help us promote it, let people know that it's out there so that we can get as much input as possible because the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary belongs to the community. Mm -hmm. And yep. we have to manage it in a way that reflects the community's interests. And we can't do that if we don't hear from the public. That's and it's thought. such a great resource. We can't afford to lose it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Of course, yeah. This well, has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank thank you. you very much for joining us today. And My uh, pleasure, and thank you for all of the work that Moat does to help us protect the Florida Keys. All right, well, this has been another episode of Two Sea Fans. I'm Joe Nicholson. I'm Haley Rutger, and we are signing out. We will see you in two weeks for another great episode. Tune in. Tune in.